moving ahead into the midday on the rural worker. That means the midday program for Friday. There's been a lot of meetings going on all over the place. We've got the Huskers in a major volleyball tangle tonight. And uh, that will determine whether or not they're able to keep things on the tracks. Let's uh, move it right straight over to Susan Littlefield, our illustrious ag director here at the Rural Radio Network. And uh, you've been uh, staffing meetings from here to there and in between. Oh, it has been absolutely crazy, but we always know that happens this time of year. And so we've still got folks on the road. Uh, Shaley is now at the Nebraska Farmers Union Convention. That takes place today and tomorrow in Grand Island. She's finished up as well at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Convention. They're in their final meetings uh, yet this morning. And then Bruce is at the Iowa Cattlemen's Leadership and Policy Conference through today. So a a quiet weekend is set. (laughs) Knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope so. But you will have a whole lot of audio to edit and bring us next week, I'm sure, from all of that that's going on. So uh, is, is that the rundown? Is that what we can expect from you today? Oh, no. Well, we got coming up at 1219, everybody's favorite, uh, state climatologist Al Dutcher will be joining us. And I talked to a few producers this morning that would like to see some warmer temperatures to thaw out some hose lines. So oh, yeah. hopefully we can get that taken care of for them. Shaley will have Kent Bacchus on with the Nebraska Cattlemen's annual meeting. They've been talking a lot about exports. Of course, the governor announcing some good news yesterday. 50% of the beef that has gone to China has come from Nebraska. So we'll have more on that coming up. And then she just tracked down John Hansen uh, with the Nebraska Farmers Union. So that will be the feature at 117. Okay, Susan, thank you very much. Over to Brandon Bennett's we go, and it's a major hurdle for the Huskers. They will be playing Colorado at the 1 p.m. match. At least that's what the first serve is scheduled for. That depends on how long number 4 Kentucky and number 13 BYU goes. So right now, first serve is scheduled for 1 p.m. pending anything being pushed back. After that, we're going to talk about the 11th Annual Heartland Hoops Classic. That's been set for eight different games coming up on February the 10th. We'll talk about that. And John Dorsey, who was the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, helped turn them around. He's now going to be the general manager manager of the Cleveland Browns and the sympathy cards are pouring in don't know what his signing bonus is but it needed to be large Uh, it's uh, Bob Brogan over here on the business desk well stocks are climbing Uh, investors are welcoming a stronger than expected US jobs report the Labor Department saying employers added a robust 228,000 jobs in November and that was pretty good so folks are kind of uh, Stoked about that. Yeah. The Britain-EU deal is in the news. Some tough issues still unresolved in that. And so that's another thing that's in the news today. All right. The, I know the president's getting ready for a big kind of a report card, end-of-the-year report card speech today in Florida. So that'll be interesting, and we'll follow that with uh, our national news, of course, as we go on. That plus weather, a lot more, and it's all coming up for you today on Midday. We bring in Paul Perkins for a look at ag weather, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. We've got uh, nice warm temperatures, but a lot of wind coming in from the west. Yeah, exactly, especially over southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, northeast Colorado. Some high winds expected for today. Already a wind gust uh, just to the west of Cheyenne Wells. Uh, wind gust up to about 45 miles per hour there. 
Otherwise, across the region, beside, despite the breezy conditions, we do have some clouds still hanging tough in the eastern third of Nebraska to northeast Kansas, mainly those clouds to the east of Highway 281 in mm-hmm. eastern Nebraska. All right, so what does the weekend hold for us? Things looking pretty good. Right now we're sandwiched in between high pressure over the Rockies and low pressure over Minnesota. Wind's going to be strong right here in the middle out of the northwest. Some gusts up to 45 to 60 over that tri-state area of southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado including maybe some wind gusts up to 60 where there is a high wind warning in northeast Colorado. Westerly downslope winds helping to give us some milder temperatures that will continue into the weekend. Winds will diminish some tonight as that area of low pressure tracks towards the Great Lakes and we see high pressure takes a better hold from the west. That high pressure ridge will get closer over the west for a mild weekend. That warmest the warmer day of the weekend going to be on Sunday. A cold front drops in by Sunday night. Temperature is going to be slightly cooler behind that front, but still on the milder than normal side for early next week. Another cold front expected Wednesday night, and that'll cooler temperatures more for late next week, but still staying above normal. In our long-term forecast, now a high li- higher likelihood of Nebraska and Kansas seeing warmer than normal temperatures Wednesday through the first day of winter on December 21st. Our precipitation forecast predicts near normal to below normal precipitation in Nebraska and below normal precipitation the entire period for Kansas Wednesday through the 21st. Weather factors in the market include additional rain for central Brazil and weekend rain for western Argentina. Dry weather will cover much of the U.S. the next few days. Cold weather in the south, east, and midwest will contrast with mild weather from the Pacific coast into the plains. And early season snow across the deep south going to lift northeast. That will deliver some weekend snow to the middle and northern Atlantic. Weekend freezes expected to occur deep into the south, but looks like that will spare winter ag areas of southern Texas and the Florida Peninsula. A long-duration Santa Ana wind event in Southern California will continue through the weekend before it subsides. The final stage of harvest in the Midwest will be helped by some seasonal cold and mostly dry weather, maybe some snow towards the Great Lakes area. Otherwise, soils continue to dry in the Southern Plains wheat areas. Colder weather in the forecast will be welcome to put the wheat into dormancy and decrease the moisture need. Tropical rain in central Brazil favoring their soybean development. Drier weather in the south will favor the planting this weekend, but rain chances after that planting are somewhat questionable since southern Brazil tends to turn drier during La Nina, which is starting to be more established across the Pacific. Moderate to locally heavy rain is forecast for western Argentina crop areas heading into the weekend. The seven-day forecast now not as hot as it was previously. Midday Ag Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. It's December the 8th. We don't see a whole lot of snow activity going on here, but I was getting tweets last night from the way down near Houston, Texas. Yes, along the southeast Texas coast. Snow. Snow. (laughs) Right near the giant snowflakes coming down. My uh, son is at, at, uh, well, I, I almost hesitate to say Texas A&M. <laughs> but he works but, for him. But uh, they, they were tweeting out all of these uh, beautiful uh, videos where they never get snow, and, and all of them were labeled walking in a winter Aggie land. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I'll, southeast Louisiana, it's down to 30 right now at New Orleans. So <laughs> yeah, but, it's right. very chilly there. That's, that's just not something you see every day. No, it is not. 12 uh, away from the top of the hour, we will, of course, be checking in with Al Dutcher for the Wares and Why Fours of the upcoming week before this midday is out. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. 
Grand Island today for their annual meeting. I'm Shaley Peters with a midday check of your ag news. John Hansen, president of the NFU, goes into their agenda. Well, this is really kind of a nuts and bolts uh, agenda for us. We're really dealing with uh, primary economic issues. So uh, at the state level, uh, we're dealing with property taxes. That's front and center. That eats up the bulk of our time. We're working with a lot of different coalition partners in the ag community as as well as the non-ag community to try to bring some property tax relief. Uh, Nebraska is the number one state in the country for the amount of property taxes that we pay on ag land by a wide margin. Uh, we're about $23,000 for an average farm. Uh, California is uh, 13000 So uh, we are the highest property tax paying state by a wide margin west of every state, west of New York State. Uh, so when you're in an ag crisis and you've had four years in a row of below cost production commodity prices and then you have uh, this in, incredibly high property tax load, it gets farmers and ranchers uh, attention for sure because those property tax bills are large and they're painful and the legislature and the governor need to step up and provide some remedy. Rural broadband and net metering are also up for discussion at this year's annual meeting. And Congressman Roger Marshall sent a letter to House and Appropriations Committee leadership asking for their help on legislation that will have a huge effect on the livestock industry. Susan Littlefield has more for us. The letter was sent as encouragement to inclusion of language in a year-end funding mechanism that would provide a one-year delay for implantation of the electronic logging devices, or ELDs, for the livestock industry. Here's Congressman Roger Marshall. Well, exactly. I think number one is we, the, the government has agreed to a 90-day delay in implementing the electronic logging devices for cattle-related, for livestock-related uh, trucking. And what we're hoping to do is to get a year delay in it with a piece of legislation we've offered. Uh, so I, I think we have bipartisan support for, for uh, Adrian Smith from Nebraska on it with us and look, looking forward to his help. He and I both have very similar districts uh, represented by agriculture and a large feedlot industry and, and just cattle overall. So I think we can get this year delay. It'll give us a chance to sort this out a little bit more. What about from the Senate side? Have you had any cooperation, any discussion coming from them? Oh, absolutely. So Senator Jerry Moran has been great to work with, and they're leading a, a similar uh, piece of legislation, and, and, with, and a very optimistic that we can get this one through over there as well. And the congressman is encouraging producers that would be affected by this law to pick up the phone and contact and senators to give their point of view. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And finally, through October 2017, Nebraska exported more than half of the total share of U.S. beef to China, according to data recently released from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Foreign Agricultural Service. Nebraska's beef exports to China were 8.7 million, a 50.5% share of the U.S. total of 17.2 million. Growing agriculture through trade continues to be a top priority for my administration, said Governor Pete Ricketts. For years, Nebraskans have been working together with federal officials to reopen the Chinese beef market, and my administration continued to work with visits to China in 2015 and 2016. When China agreed for the first time since 2003 to open its beef market to United States, Nebraska was ready and shipped the first beef to China within days of the announcement. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
Joining you now from Grand Island, I'm at the Nebraska Farmers Union annual meeting, and I've got President here, John Hansen. And John, just open up and tell us a little bit about this year's meeting, some of the things you've got on the agenda. Well, this is really kind of a nuts and bolts uh, agenda for us. We're really dealing with uh, primary economic issues. So uh, at the state level, uh, we're dealing with property taxes. That's front and center. That eats up the bulk of our time. We're working with a lot of different coalition partners in the ag community as as well as the non-ag community to try to bring some property tax relief. Uh, Nebraska is the number one state in the country for the amount of property taxes that we pay on ag by a wide margin. Uh, we're about $23,000 for an average farm. Uh, California is uh, $13,000. So uh, we are the highest property tax paying state by a wide margin west of every state, west of New York State. Uh, so when you're in an ag crisis and you've had four years in a row of below cost of production commodity prices and then you have you know, this in, incredibly high property tax load, it gets farmers and ranchers uh, attention for sure because those property tax bills are large and they're painful and the legislature and the governor need to step up and provide some remedy and this this issue that we have is the direct result of the legislature not really addressing the inequities in our state tax system. So as we get ready to jump into this next session, obviously the message is property taxes need, there needs to be something done there. But what's the specific message coming from Farmers Union? Well, we're working with a bunch of other partners, and there has to be additional income and sales tax uh, to take some of the pressure off of property. So of the three primary sources of revenue, income, sales, and property, property is the most regressive because it least reflects the ability to pay. And so the fact that you own farmland uh, in particular doesn't mean that you made any money. In fact, it means that you may have lost a bunch of money. Uh, We don't have any standards. We're not doing the valuations. And so we need to revisit uh, that. We've given away in the last 10 years uh, over $800 million worth of tax breaks. And so we need to uh, rethink tax policy, uh, LB 461, what the governor is still going around and trying to tell us is property tax relief is a uh, system where you provide layered, automatic, triggered income and corporate income tax reductions. It's not property tax relief. Uh, and if it was property tax relief, why do you suppose every farm organization in the state does not support it? Uh, we're also going to work on high-speed Internet uh, broadband. Uh, we uh, testified a week ago at the LR-175 hearing, uh, and we think that there's a real opportunity to use the uh, unused and underutilized uh, infrastructure that exists in our public power system to help bring uh, more appropriate uh, high-speed Internet broadband uh, to the underserved parts of the state, which, based on the University of Nebraska 2016 rural poll um, of over 2,200 folks, a fourth of them clearly thinks their Internet doesn't cut it. So uh, we're going to try to uh, work on that, and then we're going to um, also work on some net metering. Uh, We need to update our net metering law in our state so that it's more usable to the owners of our public power system. And so those are a few of the things in the state level, the national level, of course, the Farm Bill. Absolutely. Thanks so much. It's John Hansen from their annual meeting happening today here in Grand Island. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network.
You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time for us to check sports with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. The fifth seed of Nebraska volleyball team will face Colorado here in about a half an hour. First serve is scheduled for 1 p.m. at the Lexington Regional at Kentucky's Memorial Coliseum. However, start time might be delayed if the 11 a.m. match versus number 4 Kentucky and number 13 BYU goes a little long. The winners of today's matches will meet in Saturday's regional final at 3 p.m. Central Time. The Big Ten champion Huskers are making their 23rd regional appearance in the last 24 years and are aiming for a third straight Final Four appearance that would be a first in program history. Head coach John Cook says the Huskers feel at home in the Kentucky arena. I just think of uh, all the places we could have been sent. We're excited about being here because we had such a great tournament here uh, two years ago and a lot of familiarity. We, we know this gym and we, you know, half our team was in that regional two years ago, so... We're excited. We're really looking forward to the opportunity to continue to uh, build on the season season that we've had. And Nebraska is no stranger to Lexington, as the Huskers won an NCAA regional there in 2015 to advance to the Final Four, where the Huskers ultimately won the national title in Omaha. And the lineup has been announced for the 11th annual Heartland Hoops Classic that'll take place on February the 10th, 2018 at the Heartland Event Center in Grand Island. The event includes eight high school basketball matchups, and for the first time ever, the headliner game will feature two nationally ranked high school teams, Oak Hill Academy and Sunrise Christian Academy. The event kicks off at 9 a.m. that day and includes South Loop versus Utana, followed by Hastings St. Cecilia versus O'Neill, Omaha South versus York, Gretna, and Ponca, Grand Island Central Catholic takes on Winnebago, Omaha Scott versus Aurora, Oak Hill Academy versus Sunrise Christian, and the nightcap, Platteview versus Crete. Tickets go on sale on December 15th and are available at the Heartland Event Center box office and online at Ticketmaster.com. John Dorsey turned the Kansas City Chiefs back into winners when he became their general manager several years ago, but his new project is just a little more daunting. The Cleveland Browns have hired Dorsey to be their new general manager and to fix a team that has won just one game over the past two seasons and remains in a perpetual search for a franchise quarterback. Owners D and Jimmy Haslam wasted no time in landing Dorsey, who was brought in yesterday, just hours after the team fired Vice President of Football Operations Sashi Brown after less than two seasons. And the Falcons held on for a crucial 20-17 victory over the New Orleans Saints last night, setting up a three-way race for the NFC South title. The Falcons improved to 8-5 and five, while the Saints fell to 9-4, and four, and the two teams meet again in just two weeks. And yesterday was a big day for Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield. Not only did he receive the Walter Camp Award as the National Player of the Year, he also won the Maxwell Award as the National Player of the Year, the Davy O'Brien Award as the nation's top quarterback, and the Associated Press National Player of the Year, becoming the fourth Oklahoma quarterback to win the AP National Player of the Year Award since it was established in 1998. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies tonight. Lows around 20 to 25 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. The University of Nebraska Board of Regents has approved a new occupational therapy program that will begin in 2018 at the Health Science Education Complex at UNK. Dr. Jeffrey Gold, Chancellor of the University of Nebraska Medical Center. We looked into what it would take to start a program up, and indeed we believe that there was enough demand to do it. And so we put together the infrastructure, and the Board of Regents uh, approved it, and uh, most recently the Coordinating Commission 
echoed that approval. And so uh, we're going to be up and running uh, probably in about a year uh, looking for young women and young men who want a career uh, in an occupational therapy program. And this is going to be at the doctoral level of occupational therapy. Occupational therapy helps children and adults with disabilities to participate fully in school and social situations and helps those recovering from injury to regain skills. It also provides support for older adults experiencing physical and cognitive changes. A Brazilian jet has been testing itself against the winds of western Nebraska, flying in and out of the Scotts Bluff Airport. Western Nebraska Regional Airport Manager Darwin Skelton said that the KC-390 military cargo and troop transport arrived on Monday with about 20 test personnel. The two-engine product of Brazilian aerospace company Embraer can haul up to 66 paratroopers or hold 26 metric tons of cargo. It also comes in an aerial tanker version. Skelton says the tests were attempted in Texas, but the weather temporarily didn't provide enough wind. The test team then contacted Denver International Airport officials who referred the team to Scotts Bluff. Skelton says local winds apparently have been brisk enough for testing the jet's handling in wind and crosswind. He's uncertain when the testing will conclude. Construction of a new memorial to President Dwight D. Eisenhower on the Kansas State House grounds is a step closer to reality. A volunteer group that oversees the Kansas State House grounds voted to seek legislation next year to authorize a statue of the 34th president on the grounds. The Topeka Capital Journal reports the statue will be a replica of the Eisenhower statue currently standing at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. I'm Shaley Peters joining you on the Rural Radio Network. And earlier this week, I had a chance to catch up with Director of International Trade and Marketing for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Kent Backus. And Kent first went into, I asked him for an update on the China situation since the market has been opened this summer. Well, as you said, you know, after 13 years of being out of the Chinese market, we were very excited that this summer we were able to restore access. And a lot of that is due to the effort of our negotiators at both USDA and USTR and the leadership of President Trump, uh, who are very excited about what the Chinese market has to offer. You're looking at a market of roughly 1.4 billion people uh, and uh, emerging middle class and wants to have more protein in its diet. Beef is a new addition uh, to them, so it's something that we're going to have to develop, develop uh, not only the trust but the supply chains and develop the production here in the United States. So uh, we're going to see some small production, some small sales in the first few years as we really identify our consumers but also build our herd here to adjust for the production in China. And so we're pretty excited about what that will offer in the long term, but it is a long-term investment, and that's something that it's important for people to understand. One of the things Bacchus went into specifically was that the laws and regulations on some of the practices we use over here in the United States are coming into play with those shipments. So one of the requirements uh, for sending beef into China is that we have to be able to trace the life of that animal. So uh, we have a bookend traceability in place, which essentially means it will tag that animal at its place of birth and then be able to read that tag at its place of slaughter. And that's uh, all to just uh, underscore the importance 
of our uh, of our animal health and safety standards here in the U.S. Uh, we also face a couple of other additional requirements, uh, specifically uh, due to China's prohibition on the use of both beta agonists and hormones in production. You know, those are both safe technologies we've used uh, widely here in the United States for many years, been very profitable. Uh, but the Chinese have laws against those products, and so we have to respect those laws. And so most of the product we're going to send is going to have to be hormone-free, uh, but also beta-agonist-free. So that's going to be a smaller supply of the overall herd that we have. It's going to take us some time to adjust uh, our production standards uh, to meet that demand. And so, uh, you know, it, it is going to take a while to get there. You're not going to see large numbers, large volumes of beef going but in the long run, we think that this is going to be a good opportunity for certain segments of our industry. And if uh, people want to start producing and, and marketing their beef for China, then they'll have their foot in the door and, and the ability to do that. We're hopeful that over time, as we earn the trust of the Chinese consumer, that we'll start to see some of those restrictions either relaxed or withdrawn, just as we've seen in the Japanese and Korean markets where we face some pretty rigorous standards when we first got access into those markets. And now they're some of our biggest export markets. Finally, Bacchus went into the importance of breaking down trade barriers in other Asian countries, specifically when we look at tariffs and where we stand with the TPP or lack thereof. So we were very disappointed when the Trump administration announced that they were going to walk away from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And it was about a year ago when they made that announcement. Uh, in exchange, we were, going to, we were supposed to see bilateral trade agreements take their place, uh, but we haven't seen any progress there. Uh, meanwhile, the remaining TPP countries have decided to move forward without the U.S. They're making the necessary changes they need to go ahead and implement the terms of TPP. And while they say that the door is left open for the United States to come back, we don't know that that's going to be a possibility. This administration has been very clear that they don't want to be part of TPP. They think it's a bad deal. Uh, we don't see any better alternatives that are out there. And until we do, we're going to continue to support TPP and, and the United States coming back to the table. But TPP is not just open to the United States. It's open to a lot of other countries who are willing to accept those terms. And that's going to make us less competitive if we're, if we're not part of that overall. So we're, we're very concerned about uh, the lack of U.S. presence in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but also the fact that all those other countries are moving forward without us. Again, hearing from Director of International Trade and Marketing for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Kent Backus, from the Nebraska Cattlemen's Annual Convention and Meeting that was taking place earlier this week in Kearney, as he gave an update to producers on the Chinese market since the doors have been opened earlier this summer and talked about some of those difficulties in the other Asian markets. For more information on any of our Nebraska Cattlemen's coverage, or NCBA coverage, audio and video, visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of today's livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a quiet uh, end of the week uh, today uh, in the cattle. Uh, we finish mostly lower, uh, one, one contract the April contract managed to close higher. The rest uh, lower. Uh, very choppy, quiet trade, though, uh, to finish out the week. Not really uh, much to go on. The cutouts were higher at noon. Uh, we do finish lower for the week, though, and uh, uh, which is interesting. We closed 
a gap on the weekly charts today and closed below. Uh, so a lot of fundam- or technicians may uh, find that a little bit negative. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, kind of a quiet trade there. Over in the uh, feeders, a little bit further uh, uh, off today, uh, we had some triple-digit losses there, and, and they close all lower for the uh, uh, week. Uh, still uh, fighting uh, uh, to uh, maintain, but uh, definitely uh, seeing a lot of selling there, a lot of liquidation. The hogs, the only positive uh, thing there, they finish higher for the day, lower for the week. Cutouts were higher once again. Cash seems steady, pretty close to steady, but... uh, Trying to close the uh, gap now that, that with the December contract because they are discount to the index where the rest of them are uh, premium. So lower close there, too. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. If you have more questions of Joe, you can contact him at 800-328-0134. Joining you from Grand Island, Nebraska today at the Nebraska Farmers Union annual meeting. And I've got National Farmers Union president here with me, Roger Johnson. And Roger, we're going to jump right in. What are some of the things that are on the radar for the National Farmers Union right now? Yeah, well, thanks, Shaley. Uh, obviously, the, the tax bill is front and center right now. We've not been fans of the tax bill, principally because... It started from the perspective of adding $1.5 trillion to the debt. That's a bill that our kids and grandkids are going to be left to pay. So previous tax reform legislation has always started from the perspective of just redistributing the tax burden so that it's more fairly distributed and doesn't impact uh, the debt or the deficit one way or another. So that's that's an issue. It, it will likely have an influence on the Farm Bill. And the Farm Bill is a really important piece of legislation to our membership. I would argue that it's going to make it more difficult to pass the Farm Bill. And the last one, as everyone knows, was extraordinarily difficult. Some of the things that happened in the last Farm Bill basically resulted in it being delayed by two years. And it would certainly be our hope that that's not the case this time. Uh, Clearly, there's a lot more financial distress in, in farm country this time around. Markets are way below what they were at the peak of roughly about half of where they were. A net farm income is down 50% from what it was four years ago. Those are all uh, real problems and real drivers that hopefully will get more people focused on trying to get a farm bill passed. Uh, I don't expect that there will be major changes made in the farm bill. Uh, and I don't expect that there's going to be any new money made available in the next farm bill. And that's a problem because we're in a time period where if there ever was a need for more money for a safety net, it's now. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we're already running behind schedule with this farm bill. There a lot of promises were made earlier on that it was going to be passed at least in the House before the end of this year. That now has shifted to first quarter next year. Um, and if it doesn't pass first quarter next year, the likelihood of getting it uh, passed through both houses 
conference and and then ultimately passed and agreed to by both houses again uh, it, that's really hard to do before the end of the year especially when you're running into an election year right now and then more specifically Roger as you head towards your national annual meeting coming up in a few months how do you address these what specific ideas does the National Farmers Union have in mind when looking at a lot of these issues so the big thing that we would be supportive of are what are called the Title I programs. This is the commodity title. This is where your typical, your safety net programs uh, kick in that might help uh, when uh, the economy turns south, when market prices are lower. Uh, programs like the PLC program, which helps uh, uh, to support prices. ARC, which less so, I think most people now under a new farm bill are going to gravitate towards PLC as opposed to ARC because we're in this very low price period. So our number one request is we want a safety net. Uh, it's there and it's also in crop insurance, which is... All right, thanks so much. It's Roger Johnson, national president for the Farmers Union from Grand Island. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. In the grain markets today, the positive news came in the way of corn. Soybeans and wheat, though, were lower, at least the winter wheat futures. And with us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, we had you in our Rural Radio Network studio yesterday, and today you were able to see some more people in eastern Nebraska, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great trip. I've been, uh, I left Kansas City on, would have been Tuesday evening and went to Dodge City, Kansas and shot up through, uh, Poxy, Kansas and then saw you yesterday. And I think the one theme I've seen about 10 farmers since I got here, three themes have stuck out. One, every producer I spoke with had grain to sell. Two, every producer was below the cost of production for pricing that grain right now. And three, Every producer was moving some production, not all production, but some production, away from corn next year and into soybeans. So those are kind of three things I think behavior-wise you should see across the corn belt. Should be supportive, I think, for corn prices longer term, but short term right now it's just all about supply and um, happened to have been driving here oh, all morning really and probably past three or four mountains of corn just sitting there, um, you know, 50, 100 feet tall. And it's just amazing how much... John, looking at the uh, general near-term picture, the traders just seem to be uh, just concerned maybe more with Tuesday's report than they are in trading uh, technicals at the present time. I think a lot of this is just being washed up into the overall commodity complex. Really starting the week, we saw market-like copper fall. Some of the precious metals really fell. And, you know, corn is, I guess, kind of trailing the pack and grains in general. And when you have a weak commodity space, you're just going to see the markets, I think, kind of lead the, lead the, the whole complex lower corn's going to, and, and soybeans are going to be a part of that. We're right now in the wheat market, which I think are an interesting trade here. December wheat trading back down 392, I believe, was the close, or right around that level for December contract. That was the low that we traded into September. So I think we've seen the move. I know I've said to be optimistic here. I, I, I don't see any changes. I think, for my take, the, the market is in, in more sideways mode. Unfortunately, for producers holding court, sideways mode is really negative as well because you're losing time value and that cost of capital drains away. Thanks for the comments, John. John Payne, 
Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the uh, newsletter This Week in Grain. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. As we finish the day, corn three quarters to one and a quarter higher, soybeans two to two and three quarters lower, Chicago wheat two and a quarter to two and three quarters lower, same thing for Kansas City. Dewey Nelson reporting.